0: And let's stop and let's pray. Father, we thank you just for your goodness to us. Thank you, Father, for the privilege, the opportunity that we have to be in your house and God to gather around your word to honor and glorify your name. God, I pray that you'd use me this evening. Father, as I pray. preach and teach this uh, message. God, I pray that you would just uh, use it. I pray, Father, that you'd speak to each and every heart as only you can. And Father, I pray that you would uh, bless and encourage each and every person tonight. God, I do pray for our live stream, that you would help them to be able to get uh, whatever bugs worked out and, and get it working properly. And God, I pray that you'd give them wisdom to be able to figure that out. And God, we'll thank you for that. We'll give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name, we pray. Amen. I want to lump these two verses together because they're very, very similar, and, uh, and they're very, very important. And they have to do with family, and they have to do with the, the fact that family... Uh, matters. And uh, family is very important. In Peru, many times we would have uh, family conferences and we'd have several uh, services where we would just teach on family. It's such an important thing. There's only three institutions that God established, the church, uh, the government, and the family. And family is certainly a very important institution by God Family was founded by God. Save your spot here in Proverbs, and I I believe this is important. We need to look at this. Save your spot in Proverbs 29, and go with me to Genesis chapter number 2. I just want to give you some basic principles about family. We're not going to spend a lot of time here, but I feel that it's valid and worthwhile to look at. Genesis chapter number 2, in verse number 21. This, of course, is Adam and Eve in the garden in the very beginning of time. And and the Bible says in Genesis, chapter number 2, and verse number 21, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. Flesh. and I want to stop right there just for a moment and uh, and I want you to notice this that God established the family right here in this passage Adam did not have parents think about that as you read verse number 24 uh, God is giving instruction to Adam and he says therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother now did Adam have a belly button I don't know All right. Uh, God could have made him with a belly button, though he certainly didn't need a belly button. Adam didn't have a father and Adam didn't have a mother because he was created of God. And and, and really, does it matter if he had a belly button? No. Nobody's going to know. We'll figure it out in heaven. All right. So it really doesn't matter. But it is interesting to, to think about those things. But the fact that he did not have a mother and he did not have a father, and yet God gave this instruction, why? Not because it was pertinent to Adam, but it was pertinent going forward from this time forward that Adam and Eve would have children, and when their children came of age, that they would be married and it would be a departure from their home and an establishment of their own home. And so that's very important to understand in this passage that God made it very clear and very abundantly clear that, uh, that the home would be to establish and that a family would be established. And I just you have to say a few of these things, but I want to I want you to notice this, that uh, the establishment of the home does not require children. Right. Um, and that's important to understand when a man and woman get married, that is a home. And sometimes uh, they're physically not able to have children. That takes place. That does not make their home any less of a home uh, than a home that would have 10 kids or 15 kids. Uh, a home is established uh, when, when a man and a woman get married. And so we understand that. I want to say this because I believe it's important. Two men cannot make a home according to God's word. That's just important to say. You have to say that nowadays. Two women cannot make a home according to God's Word. Uh, It's not God's will. It's it's clearly written in God's Word uh, what it was made. And then uh, one flesh clearly denotes how inseparable they were. Marriage is not a light or a small thing. It is a commitment. And I just need to say this as well, that living together is still sin. Uh, we touched on that a little bit on Sunday, but it's important, and the Bible is very clear about that. And so I just want us to understand that God established a family with a husband and a wife. And, uh, and so that's just important for us to understand. And if a, um, if a couple does have children, it's important to know that the Bible gives us clear instruction on how to raise that child. Uh, I've, I've jokingly said before, you know, when you go to the hospital and you have your first child, uh, you know, the child comes out and they give you the child and they say, "Here you go. Have fun. Take it home. And, uh, and you're thinking, what on earth have I done? And what do I do? And where's the manual on how this thing works? I like manuals. I like instructions. I like to uh, I'm. I, I often set the instructions aside uh, and I, don't, I disregard them and I try it first on my own. But when I can't succeed or if I cannot succeed, I will go to the instructions and I will walk through every step and I will find out, hey, what was I missing? And so an instruction manual is important. And God gave us an instruction manual for raising children that is still valid today in 2022, just as much as it was uh, in Adam and Eve's day. And so uh, we need to understand that God has given us uh, the instructions on how to do this. In Proverbs 29, back in our text, we have a little bit, uh, two verses that we're going to look at tonight. And I need to say this, that every child is different and unique. We have, in my family, we have twins. We had twins once, and then we had twins twice. And our twins, they're not identical twins, uh, but even in those twins, they're not the same. They have different personalities. They react different to instruction that is being given to them. And every child, no matter uh, if it's from the same family, no matter if it's multiples even, every child is going to be unique. And when your child was born... Uh, That child is going to be unique. And and God has given us instruction in his word on how to rear children, even in all the uniqueness of what they are. Um, I I, want to say this as well, by way of introduction still, is that there is a war, a spiritual warfare against the home. This is not new. This has been around for years and years and years and, and, and it's, it is uh, the idea is that if the family unit can be successfully destroyed, it makes it far easier to destroy the children that came from that home. You understand that and uh, and, and we know that. Uh, I worked at a camp as a Uh, as a college student. And uh, the motto of that camp was this, it is easier to build boys and girls than to repair men and women. Satan knows that. He's very aware of that. So if the home unit can be destroyed, uh, then, then obviously those kids are far more likely, not, it's not impossible to raise them for the Lord, don't misunderstand me, but it's far more likely that the devil will succeed in destroying those children and it will be harder to repair them as men and women than it would be to raise them under godly principles. And so I just want us to understand uh, that, that there is a war on home uh, and, and there is a push uh, to, to really attack the family unit. It, you know, you can go all the way back uh, and it started many, many years ago uh, with equality uh, and even just trying to get uh, women in the workforce. And listen, if mom and dad are both working, then who's watching the kids and who's home with them? And so uh, that was the first step, and it was subtle, and, and it became some, a thing that, hey, you know, both parents are gone, and, and many times kids were left to themselves, and many times uh, they had to rely on other people. And, and listen, many times the people that would instruct our children would instruct them contrary to the Word of God. So we just need to understand that that is a war that is taking place. And then, of course, broken homes and split homes and, and, uh, and single parents and all of that. And I want to make it clear as well, it's not impossible uh, to raise your children in those environments. And so I don't want you to think, well, if your home is broken or uh, that it's impossible. No, it's not impossible. It does make it harder, but it's not impossible. And God can help you and God can strengthen you, uh, but it will require a little bit more extra effort and a little extra work on your part, but you can, it can be done. And so I want us to understand that as well. So as we look at these verses, Proverbs 29:15, back at our text, the Bible says in verse number 15, I want to take the second part of that verse. The Bible says, "A child left to himself bringeth his mother shame." We need to understand that every child, every person born on this earth has a sin nature. We covered this way back in Proverbs twenty-two, fifteen. The Bible says foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. Now, there's nothing like having a newborn child. Uh, we, we were last Wednesday... Was it last Wednesday? Yeah, last Wednesday. We were uh, visiting with family, and, and uh, my niece has a, uh, a baby. She was three months old now, I guess, five months. Wow, time flies. And, uh, and we went and saw her when she was a newborn, and she's all precious, and she just lays there. And, and you look at them, and, and they're like, man, they're so precious. And you think, wow, uh, aren't they wonderful? And, and they are. But you have to realize, even at a newborn stage, there's sin in that child. There's foolishness bound in the heart of that child. Now, we don't like to think of that. The ladies in the nursery don't like to think of that because they hold them and they're cute and they're cuddly and they're adorable and, and all of that. But, but as they grow, uh, listen, they're going to be prone to sin. I've said this a million times and I'll say it again, that we, you, no parent has to teach your child to lie. You don't have to teach them that. No parent has to teach their child to be selfish. No parent has to teach their child to fight with other people. Uh, Those are things that you have to teach your children not to do. Because it comes naturally. Children naturally want to lie. Children naturally are selfish. Children naturally are going to uh, maybe push somebody else down and take what they have out of their selfish nature. And it's just the nature that every person has. So you can imagine that as the Bible says here in verse number 15, a child left to himself bringeth his mother shame. What's going to happen? That naturalness is going to come out of that child. And it's going to be a sin nature. And the Bible is very clear about that. So every child has a sin nature bound within them. As the Bible says, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. And the Bible says in 15b, the second part, uh, but a child left to himself, bringeth his mother to shame. We see the sin nature. But then we see the shamed mother as well. I want us to notice this. The Bible does say it bringeth his mother to shame. I I noticed that. And in Genesis, as we looked at it, the Bible says they shall be one flesh. And, uh, and so as I was thinking about that, a mother and father would certainly share in that shame. But oftentimes a mother is more tender, uh, tender-hearted, and more apt and more prone to carry that shame uh, than a guy would. A guy tends to brush things off and, and not, uh, uh, not carry that kind of shame. And so the, it's interesting that the Bible points out that he'll uh, that bring his mother to shame. And as I was thinking about this verse, I was thinking about some of the uh, most notorious names in history. The first one that popped in my mind, of course, was Adolf Hitler. And I thought, who's Adolf Hitler's mother? Does anybody know that? I mean, I had to look it up. I didn't know that. I, I looked it up, and I thought, I wonder who Adolf Hitler's mother is. And, uh, and, and as I read the story, uh, I was very curious to find out who Adolf Hitler's mother was. This is just by way of example. Uh, Adolf Hitler's mother was, was uh, Clara, and, uh, and Adolf Hitler's father was born, consequently, in a broken home. We're talking in the 1900s. We're talking actually in the, uh, the late 1800s that his father was born to a broken home. And, uh, and on his uh, third marriage, he married Clara, who was Adolf Hitler's mother. His second wife died. His first mother, uh, he had divorced from her. And, uh, and there was all kinds of situations and problems there. But, but nonetheless, he married, uh, there's so much more that I, I, I'm not telling you, but he married Clara, uh, Alios. That was his father's name, Alios, and Clara. And, uh, and they had uh, three children that all passed away in infancy before Adolf Hitler was born. And then Adolf Hitler was born and, uh, and, and uh, he was really the, um, his mother's prized possession, if you will. And, uh, and, and he really, uh, his father, uh, they, some reports said it was he was abusive, others uh, I don't really know. Uh, but, but nonetheless, his father died when he was 13 years old. Adolf Hitler's father did. And uh, shortly thereafter, he dropped out of school. His mother didn't make him do anything. And uh, he dropped out of school and did not finish. And, uh, and he kind of worked on arts and things of that nature. And, and, uh, and then eventually... Um, his mother passed away when he was only 18 years old. And you think, wow, he didn't, she didn't get to see uh, the shame that was brought upon him. Uh, I read some things about his life and it was just really, he was, he was lived in Vienna, went to art school and he was not able to pass the exam to go into art school. And, and he really, the, 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 the account that I read was, uh, gave account that he slept on park benches and he was kind of homeless and not doing well in Vienna uh, for a long time as he lived there. And so uh, it was just kind of interesting to read all of that and read even the history and you think, boy, that's really a child left to himself. And the second person that I thought of was Jezebel in the Bible. And I thought, well, who's Jezebel's parents? I looked that up, and and there's no absolutely no record of her mother. There's nothing written at all of Jezebel's mother. Her father's name is given, uh, but there's even very little information given of him. But we do know from the life of Jezebel, if you go back and read the accounts of her life, that she was a very self-centered, unscrupulous woman with no regard to anyone but her own way. And Ahab, her husband, even became a mere puppet to her, and she was a powerful, manipulative uh, person that's so abhorred, uh, that is so abhorred today that even we don't even name our dogs Jezebel. I mean, you think about it. And you think about what a shame that would have been brought upon her mother. I don't know if her mother lived to see the day that she was... Uh, that she was uh, shamed her mother. But I'm just saying this, that the Bible says that a child that is left to himself bringeth his mother shame. That doesn't mean that, that a child, the next child left to themselves will be an Adolf Hitler or a Jezebel. But listen, who wants to have a child that's a drug addict? Who wants to have a child that has uh, uh, addictions to alcohol? Nobody wants that. I mean, most parents aspire to have a child that is working and laboring and making their way through life and and doing okay at things and and not a a dredge to society. And so I'm just saying that the Bible holds true that, hey, if a child is left to themselves, they are going to bring their mother to shame. Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter number 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm going to read these, and we're not going to comment much on them, but I, I believe it's very valuable to look at them. Deuteronomy chapter number 6 and verse number 4. Deuteronomy 6, 4, the Bible says, in the chapter of, or Deuteronomy chapter number 6 and verse number 4, the Bible says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Verse number 7, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house, and on thy gates. And the Bible gives strict instruction that the parents are responsible to pass on the information from God's word to their children. And so if you leave a child to himself and you don't teach a child the things of God and you don't, uh, you don't bother uh, giving them the things of God, then certainly it's going to come back as a reproach uh, in your life. And listen, God can turn a lot of things around. So I don't write anything off. Uh, I know that the prayers of many a mother and the prayers of many a father have been answered. And God can change a lot of things. But if you're raising children, understand this. Hey, don't leave that child to themselves. Spend time training that child. Spend time teaching them about God. I I read this illustration, I don't know when, several months ago uh, and I gave it in the adult Sunday school class but it's a good illustration uh, and it says this, a secular humanist counselor, secularist humanist counselors have many ridiculous philosophies about discipline and listen, the world is full of them today. Many of them believe you should question authority and follow your own desires and emotions, which is completely anti-biblical. A Cambridge professor named Coolridge once had a man over to his house who did not believe in giving small children any religious instruction. This man believed that the child's mind should not be prejudiced in any direction, but he should be permitted to choose his own religious opinions when he came to an age of discretion. Coolridge said nothing. After a while, he asked his visitors if he could care to see his garden. The man complied, and Coolridge took him to the garden where only weeds were growing. The man looked at Coolridge in surprise and exclaimed, why, this is not a garden. There is nothing here but weeds. Well, you see, answered Coolridge. I did not wish to infringe upon the liberty of the garden in any way. I was just giving the garden a chance to express itself and choose its own production. We spend more time taking care of our yards than we do sometimes our children. We take more care to cut our, cut our grass and keep the weeds out uh, than we do our children. And I'm just saying that the Bible says very clearly that a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Look with me at the first part of that verse, and we'll go to a positive side. The Bible says here in the first part, it says uh, in Proverbs 29:15, "...the rod and reproof giveth wisdom." The Bible mandate is for uh, two things here that is very clear. Number one is a rod. What is a rod? It is a stick for punishing. Uh, it's a switch, uh, if you will. And the Bible says in Proverbs twenty-two fifteen that we looked at earlier, foolishness is bound in the, in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Let me just mention this about the rod. A rod is not to be used for abuse we understand that and i want that to be clear a rod is not to be used for the or a rod is to be used for the purpose of correction That needs to be understood. Uh, The rod is not to be used out of frustration. The rod is not to be used out of anger. The rod is not to be used out of annoyance because the child is annoying the parent. But the rod is specifically to be used as a tool for correcting that child. We've read several times throughout the Proverbs that uh, a rod for the fool's back. In other words, uh, listen, people, uh, you can talk to people sometimes until you're blue in the face, but sometimes it takes pain for them to understand stuff. And sometimes that's necessary. Matter of fact, in the Bible, uh, it's very clear for a child it is necessary. And, uh, and it's used as a mode of correction. Now, the, God gave us a, a specific place that's nice and padded where you can swat that child. And again, it should not be abuse. It should be appropriate for whatever measure. And, uh, and listen, I had six kids. And some of my kids, all you had to do was this. And they cried. They was all done. And they were sorry. And they were. Uh, some of my other kids, buddy, you did that, they'd laugh at you. And you say, oh, boy. No, we're not doing that. And, and, and it required more. That's why I say every child is different, but there is a need for a rod of correction. And, uh, and, and it, can be, uh, it ought to be applied uh, to the child so that that child can learn. We don't have time to go there. Well, yes, we do. Let's go to Pro- Hebrews chapter number 11. Save your spot here in Proverbs. We'll be back here. But go to Hebrews chapter number 12. Hebrews chapter number 12, verse number 5. The Bible talks about chastening for Christians and how God chastens a Christian. And the word chasten means punishment for the purpose of correction. So when we read this, uh, you'll know, hey, that's punishment. That's a physical punishment, sometimes uh, a physical punishment for the purpose of correction. Hebrews chapter number 12 and verse number 5. And it says... And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening, that would be punishment, of the Lord, nor, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening... God dealeth with you as with sons, for what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chaste- chastisement, whereof all our partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our own flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits, and live, for they, verily, for they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that he, we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. And so uh, the the chastening would be the uh, the correction, the rod of correction per se uh, that w- that God would use as a means to correct His children. I'll never forget the illustration. Uh, matter of fact, it was brother Patterson, and uh, and he said uh, God was speaking to me, just gotten saved, and, and God was speaking to him about tithing, and uh, and he said, "Well, I'm I'm not going to tithe." Matter of fact, he took his tithe down and, and he, he needed a brand new lawnmower to mow his lawn. So he took his tithe down and he went down and he, and he bought a brand new lawnmower. He mowed his lawn with it. I don't remember exactly when or how the story went, but I know this, that he slipped and fell while he was mowing his lawn and cut his toe off. And he said this, I now have nine toes to remind me that one tenth belongs to the Lord. I'm just saying, God chastens those whom he loves. By the way, that's a good proof of your salvation. If God never chastens you, then then maybe you need to be born again. Maybe you've never been saved. Because whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. By the way, I I don't run out on the street when I see my neighbor kids doing wrong and and, and give them a smack on the bottom with a switch and say, hey, you straighten up and you stop doing that. Why? Because it's not my kid. I'm not going to do that. See, I, I would chasten my kid, but I won't chasten somebody else's kid. God chastens his children. He doesn't run around chasing the neighbor's children. And so we understand that chastening is of God. And, and chastening is a scriptural mandate that is given. And for parents, they ought to, uh, they ought to punish in the right way and in the right method, uh, but they ought to punish uh, their children. And that's what the Bible says uh, back in our text, Proverbs 29, 15. The rod, I want you to notice that that's coupled with reproof. What is reproof? Reproof is blame expressed to the faith, explaining what was done wrong and why it is wrong. It's not enough just to punish a child. You must tell that child what they did wrong. I remember when my children were little, and the very first thing that we taught them was the word no. No. You know, children that are little, before they can even speak, as soon as they can start walking, they can learn the word no. They can learn the word yes. When my children uh, would would go to do something and we would tell them no, uh, listen, it's more about parental training than child training. And the, the parent has to get used to teaching that child no and when you say no, then you have to back it up and you have to enforce it. So sometimes you need to pick your fights, as they say, as parents. And you've got to know where, where to draw the line and what to fight over and what not to fight over. But nonetheless, hey, my children, when they were little, before they could talk, when they could walk and they could pick things up, they started learning the word no. And if they didn't, if they didn't abide, then uh, you know what? A little swat, and they understood very quickly. Oh, that's what no means. And no gets associated with, if I don't do it, then a little bit of pain says, oh, I'm going to straighten up. By the way, if you let a child as a sinner grow, as the Bible says, and leave them to themselves, they, they go from a little sinner to a big sinner who has no respect for authority, no respect for discipline, no respect for laws. And why do you think we have all the riots and the chaos and stuff that's going on today? Talk about a generation of undisciplined children who have been left to themselves to do whatever they want, who do not answer to authority, do not respond to that, and they think that everything is going to be brushed aside, and they don't realize, hey, there are consequences for action. And listen, that can be started when a child is so young. And it's easier for them to learn when they're young. And so the Bible is very clear here in verse number 15. Uh, it says, The rod And reproof give wisdom. But a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Verse 17 says this, Correct thy son. That correction would be the rod and the reproof. Both of those things go hand in hand. So many people want to reason with their children. Uh, Listen, the Bible way is a rod and reproof. Reproof can be reasoning, can be telling, can be explaining. But if you reason without a rod, then they're not going to get it all. The Bible way is a rod and reproof for the purpose of correcting that child. Look at the end of verse number 17. We find the Bible says in verse 17, Correct thy son, what does it say? And he shall give thee rest. Go on and it says, Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. When your children are young, it's not very restful to tell them no, especially if you have twins, especially if you have twins twice. It's not very restful to enforce, No, no, don't do this, don't do that. It's not very restful when they're young. But I tell you what, when they get older... And they've learned the respect for authority and they've learned that rules have consequences and broken rules have consequences. When they've learned that, you can set back and you can say, man, I don't have to keep running after them. I don't have to keep doing all this. And there is rest and it does come. And then the second part of that verse says, he shall give delight to thy soul. There is rest. We see the scriptural mandate. And then we see the satisfied mother, mother in verse number 17. We see the rest that is given. and Then we see the rejoicing that comes from following God's word and what he says and how he's given to raise children. And, uh, and it's so important that we follow God's word. So many people want to man has so many philosophies man has so many things that he says well you can do it this way and that way and doctor so-and-so and doctor so-and-so and experts in psychology and all of this listen, they're going to they're gonna try and route you around God's Word and try and route you some other way. I'm just telling you, God gave a very clear way to raise children, to instruct children, and following God's Word is the tried and tested true way of God's wisdom. And I'll take God's wisdom out of the book of Proverbs over any man's wisdom that he can concoct because he's constantly going against the Word of God. And so we need to be careful that we follow God's mandate because families are so important, children are so important, and we raise them for God's honor and for God's glory. And listen, I'm I'm very careful to say this children don't always turn out right. I don't always understand, I I don't have all the answers, but I know this that sometimes they go astray. We are self willed creatures. And I don't understand all of it, but I can tell you this. You can always pray and ask that God will turn that child aright. And I, I know we've got older people. We've got people who have grandchildren and, and things of that nature. But that was the passage that we had tonight. And listen, you can always pray that God will touch the hearts of people. I've seen so many people, so many lives, how many testimonies I've heard of, of men and women who were, Uh, rebellious and gone astray and doing what they wanted to do but yet the prayers of that mother or the prayers of that grandparent or the prayers of that father change the life of that person and they come back to God. And so don't give up hope. Don't think all is lost as long as they're living and as long as they're breathing. You love them. You pray for them. You encourage them. You help them as much as you can and, uh, and you pray that God will turn their life around and hey, it could happen. Uh, God could do that, and uh, and so and if you have younger kids or you have grandkids, hey, encourage them. Follow God's plan. That's the God's way to raise children. So as we think about that, I hope that's a help and a blessing uh, to each and every person. Let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Father, we thank you for your word, your scriptural mandate in how to raise children. And God, I, how, how truly this needs taught in 2022. God, I pray that you'd help our families. God, I pray that you'd help these young kids that we bring in and God, many of them from homes that are not right, but I pray that you'd help us to have an influence, an impact and to bless and to encourage those kids. God, that's what your word says, how to raise children. God, I pray that you would help those that have children to raise them in your nurture and in your love and in your care. And Father, we'll thank you for that. And God, may we be grateful for your chastisement in our life as a proof of our salvation. And then, God, because you care enough, to correct us. And God, certainly we're prone to wander and prone to go astray, and I pray that you'd help us. I pray that you would correct us when we do mess up. Help us to be sensitive to your correction. and God, will thank you for that. God, will give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As so we have a short hymn of invitation whatever the need. I know it was a very practical message on child-rearing. it would be something in there was a... God touched your heart with something. I always like to give an opportunity to pray and you can pray right there in your seat. You can come to the altar. Maybe you just want to thank the Lord for His chastisement. that He does keep, That He does care about you. That He does love you enough to try and correct you, keep you straight. We'll bring our invitation to a close and appreciate your faithfulness in the Lord's house tonight and uh, appreciate uh, you being faithful. Uh, Be sure to smile at somebody while trying not to shake hands. I I struggle with that. I like to shake hands. But to smile at somebody, tell them you're glad to see them here tonight, and uh, we will see you back here Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. God bless.